This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is my co-host, Brian Rinaldi. How you doing, Brian? I'm good, Ed. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Um, and I'm enjoying this uh, nice weather. So I, apparently Louisville, Kentucky and um, Seattle have swapped weather for the summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lucky you. We, we um, you know, here in Orlando right now, the summer has been, I've had the arrhythmics going through my head every single day with uh, here comes the rain again <laughs> every day and it's not this is not like just drizzly rain i mean when it starts raining it's massive downpours often accompanied by like high winds and lightning and thunder it's you know so it's it's been interesting yeah it's uh fair, fairly normal for florida i think it's still your first year down there right yeah but i, I mean even by Florida standards, this is pretty wet. Oh, really? Yeah, and they're not—they're not like usually you'd have like a half an hour kind of passing shower, and these will go a good few hours sometimes. Wow. We have areas that are like we have drainage, like basically drainage ditches, but they don't look like ditches. They're, they're like made to look nicer. That are lately just basically ponds. Because they can't drain oh, fast enough for the water that's coming in. Well, temp, temps up in Seattle are like record, like 104 or something like that. Yeah. And uh, here today, our high is 76 degrees in the middle of August, or actually beginning of August. So this is pretty unheard oh, of. nice. I heard so it's like we've done a total like Freaky Friday with the uh, West Coast. I heard I heard up in like Portland and stuff that they're generally very anti. Uh, air conditioning but have had to kind of come around this year yeah that's got to be painful yeah so anyway let's get to the topic at hand this is a teller developer digest show and that means uh we go over some items that we talk about in our newsletter we have a newsletter that goes out every two weeks that uh, you put out brian mm-hmm. and uh, we have usually some really great articles in there and um we kind of give our take on uh, the articles and some uh, news that surrounds those those articles. So, let's get started with uh, some CSS. That's always oh fun. yeah, yeah. You know so, you love CSS. Well, you you you're a SAS fan, not really. I'm CSS. a SAS fan. I don't mind CSS so much. Uh, and uh, I thought this article was pretty cool. It's uh, five CSS properties that you probably don't know and. Uh, I think there's probably more than five CSS properties. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, or, or at least ones that I'm like, there is something that does this, but I don't know what I can't. I have to look it up. Um, so so this is Anarita Trenfiki. She's written for us a number of times, always good front end stuff. Um, and she just kind of goes through a few like uh, font display, uh, contain, writing mode, and, and others that... Um, that kind of do some of them are actually fairly like very specific in their intent like you know you would only use it maybe on very um 
what you might call a unique kind of interface that you might have to do something special. And others are things that you probably would, would end up using more frequently um, if you knew they existed. So like, like for instance, the, the font display, now that people end up doing a lot of custom fonts and stuff, it's, it's actually very useful for, for, you know, adding in custom fonts, um, web fonts basically. And, and that one yeah. would, be, would be something you'd use very frequently, but you may not even know it exists. I, and granted the support is, is not a hundred percent yet, I guess, but, um, but other ones like writing mode, well, it might only, it really only applies if I, for in certain circumstances, right. Um, where like, I might have to have text that's going, um, vertical rather than horizontal or so on. Right. Right. It's not a common use case, but but when it is, this is it's important to know that these things exist. Yeah, I have, I have to admit, like all five, I did not know uh, the the first one that font display that you were talking about. Um, I think this one actually came about because of the uh, fout or flash yeah. of unstyled text problem that CSS has yes. or the web has in general. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think font display is the uh, no code way of addressing that problem. So that's a cool one. I like that. Yeah. I think the if I remember there was, there was like little JavaScript type solutions for it before or something like that, but I, I don't, I don't remember the exact um, way that people got around that issue before, but but this is now in a, a f kind of an official way to solve it. Yeah, it was like before it was, uh, how do I fix this? Use some JavaScript. Okay, now I have two problems. <laughs> <laughs> that type of thing. <coughs> that, that's, isn't that, that sounds like pretty much everything on the web, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty <coughs> true. I'd say so. It's like use Angular. Now I have five problems. <laughs> you can't go an episode without you grieving against Angular. <laughs> that's because that's what I'm working on right now. Uh, so I, I have some events coming up, and uh, we have a lot of really cool tech that evolves around uh, Angular, and uh, that would be Kendo UI for Angular and Native Script, um, Angular code sharing, and. Um, I'm also a .NET developer, so I'm trying to figure out how to use all these things together, and they're all brand new, so, you know, things break. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You know, the, the thing that you hate the most is the thing that you're working on at any given time. <laughs> it's one of those things I will have loved working on, or worked on, but not enjoyed working on. So when, it, when it's over, I'll appreciate it. Uh, so I'm... I'm working on uh, some material for Visual Studio Toolbox, which is a show on Channel 9, on Microsoft's Channel 9. And uh, I'm going to kind of show how, uh, as a .NET dev, you can set up um, an Angular proje project using ASP.NET Core, and then what the alternatives are to using .NET uh, without, without the ASP.NET templates, which is standing up a web API and then um, on the other side you have your Angular client app and then you got to kind of finagle things to get those to talk back and forth. And then the uh, third option is uh, to do uh, web API backend and then code share. So you have a web application using Angular and a native script application using the same code base. 
So I'm, I'm going all in on it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that, but that doesn't sound easy. No. Yeah, I, have, <laughs> I have some meetings later today with uh, some good people to try to help me figure this all out. And uh, I got to record that next week. So I'm, I'm in crunch mode. It's <laughs> hmm. a nice, nice break doing the podcast to get away from it all for a little bit. Uh, so speaking of .NET, uh, next we have an article by Sam Basu, and Sam Basu, I know him. <laughs> he's uh, one of our amazing coworkers, and he wrote an article about uh, XAML standard demystified. Yeah, um, as as somebody who doesn't know anything about XAML, this was interesting. He kind of gives the whole history of how XAML came came to be and how other um, other tools decided to kind of use XAML as, you know, but came up with their own flavor of XAML. And so now you have tons of things that use XAML, but each having their own unique flavor of XAML that causes difficulties. So I guess now, um, Microsoft is deciding to come up with a standard that they can use across all of these that'll work for all of them. Yeah, XAML's been around for a while. I mean, since the Silverlight days, yeah, and WPF, that. and and now it's it's been brought into UWP, and all of these different forms of XAML have their own nuances. And it, it they did a similar uh, merge with uh, ASP.NET Core or ASP.NET MVC and Web API when they went to ASP.NET Core. So we had the same idea there where you'd have a, a controller class in uh, one framework and a controller class in the other, and they operated almost identically, but the code base was different. And mm. then there was some little nuanced things between the two controllers that were just different. So, you know, the same idea, but it's it's all wrapped around view stuff. And so you have a stack panel in one application and a stack panel in another and they don't quite behave the same way and the properties aren't identical and so that, now they're they're standardizing all that so that should get rid of a lot of headaches yeah although it sounded like there's some you know not all, as i guess as with anything with developers we don't all agree it sounds like there's some issues people aren't exact all completely happy about it and hopefully this makes things easier for our developers since we develop UI tooling for all of those things. Right. Uh, some of those things aren't active anymore, like Silverlight, but um, we do not. have UWP and Xamarin and uh, WPF. I still uh, UI control Flash, you know. <laughs> You're still doing the cold fusion and Flash route. Huh? Yeah. But uh, we, we do have the Telerik UI for UWP, which is open source and free. Yep. Uh, which you can download and try out uh, or actually use for free um, and uh, commit back to open source and everything. Um, and John Bristow wrote an article about that since we're talking about XAML um, called Getting Started for Telerik UI for UWP. So if you want to get on the UWP train and start writing some UWP apps and, and see what that's all about, that's uh, a good way to get started. Is UWP really a train at this point? Um, train uh, <laughs> uh, with a dumpster trailer that's on fire. No, I'm kidding. Oh, I'm kidding. Now you're gonna get you in trouble. They're they're gonna kick me off as Studio Toolbox <laughs> next week. 
<laughs> They're gonna escort me right out of the building when they hear that comment. Yeah. Now UWP is a very cool idea. It's still gaining traction. Yeah, um, I know it's I'm still using early. Windows 10 myself. I think Windows 10 is is pretty fabulous. So, yeah. Um, hopefully, you know, I think one of the downsides to UWP right now is that we don't have any flagship Microsoft mobile device. Yeah. Uh, I think the tablets are helping, like the Surface Pros and Surface you. Uh, surface books and things like that and even the surface studio where it's a big you know gigantic yeah. touch screen um, all that stuff kind of helps the uwp message uh but I, I really feel like we need some kind of tablet device or small mobile device even if it's a phone or not a phone just something that size yeah um, that can take Wasn't advantage of a surface this. phone coming at some point oh i don't know i don't i couldn't tell you any honest truth about it all i know is uh, i used a windows phone for quite a while and uh it was a really great device it just lacked apps uh one day unfortunately it got broke and i had to replace it and there's nothing on the market so i chose android and mm -hmm. i'm still suffering <laughs> well no android's good android's okay yeah uh you and i are think the only android people on the team Probably i guess every time every time I actually just got a new uh, a Galaxy S8. Yeah, the, the nice cell phone actually. situation is, is like lesser of two evils, really, at this point. So you're either tied up in the Apple ecosystem or you have an Android phone and it has its kind of quirks and odd things that it does and every manufacturer's got a different skin on it type of thing. So yeah. there's that. You know, I think, I don't know, I've always found it to be less of a big deal than people make it out to be. Get used to it. You get used to the quirks <laughs> of whatever it is you're 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 on, right? I mean, not not that, like, Windows Phone wasn't without its quirks, right? Yeah, um, my, my current quirk with uh, my Android device is the alarm stopped working. And that's something I use frequently. Yeah, that is strange. Why would that be? Yeah. Huh. Which I also had that issue on Windows Phone, so it's not perfect. So maybe, maybe it's you. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> we found the common <laughs> common problem here. <laughs> uh, I'm not a morning person, but I swear that has nothing to do with it. It literally locks up the um, the UI locks up on the clock. So I don't. Know. Which phone do you have? Uh, LG G4. Oh. So it's probably, probably time for a new one. <laughs> I probably, I, I've stuck with, uh, you know, I, I used to get only the Nexus phones, um, but now in, in stock Android, and now I've, I, at one point I switched to the Samsung and I've kind of stuck with that. I'm pretty, pretty happy with the Galaxy S whatever phones that I've had. They've all been very good phones. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably overdue for a new one. I don't use it that heavily, so I, I'm kind of behind the curve usually on buying new devices. Um, I'm just not that productive on a on a phone, so it's like I use it for an alarm. I use it for some basic lists and stuff, but I'm not an app guy. I don't have a billion apps doing stuff on it all the time. Uh, me neither. I'm not an app guy you know, either, but I'm a web guy. I use yeah. the browse a lot on my phone. 
a lot. Like reading amazing articles that we put in our Teller exactly. Digest newsletter. Like best practices for designing a chatbot conversational experience. Awesome segue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is so one of the things uh, we haven't talked about yet um, is that we have a team working. You know, you wouldn't exactly know it if you went to the site because our logo is kind of hidden, but um, we have team working on a chatbot uh, framework called Darwin.ai. Uh, and so this is by Hristo Borisov, who who works on that team. And he's talking about some of the best practices that they, they put, uh, have kind of built into the framework. But he's saying, so it relates to obviously to specifically to that framework but these are more general best practices, regardless of what framework you're you're working with, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and it's just just things that that I that will help you make a better bot, like you know, avoiding setting a gender on the bot and giving that bot a little bit of personality and um, making sure that you know you handle things like interruptions in the conversation. Um, that are kind of f- common, um, and, and other things like providing suggestions when there's might be, you know, it's, there's some ambiguity about what the person is asking things like that. Yeah. I, I think they should, uh, give our, uh, progress, uh, chat bot, my personality. So it just throws memes out there all the time and yeah, yeah, yeah. well, but they're, they're, they're like, trying like to, uh, yeah. They want people to use this thing, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's. If you've ever used my, I don't use a lot of bots, so I, I haven't found bots entirely useful yet. Um, but I think they're getting there. I think there's the the technology is improving quickly, and they will be there. Uh, and in specific use cases, they make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of uh, interesting news lately uh, around AI and bots, and uh, I thought this one was funny to add to the conversation because uh, the headline like went viral yesterday or the day before. It was, Facebook shuts down an AI experiment because chat box de- chatbots develop their own language. <laughs> so that that sounds terrible, like... This is the next evolution towards Skynet, right? Mm-hmm. And this thing was in every publication you can imagine a couple days ago. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you had a chance to read this thing or not, but it was just total clickbait, right? Yeah, I saw I saw um, it come across probably my Facebook feed or something, and I, I avoided it because it sounded like BS. It was so bad. So the gist of it was uh, they had bots talking to each other, and um, I guess they opened up some parameters on what language they were allowed to use to talk to each other or what words they were allowed to use. Uh, so it, it kind of started shorthanding some things. So there's a lot of, like, uh, as, is, you know, little connector words being used overused so it'd say something like brian as 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 today and it made no sense whatsoever so the articles read as if they had invented their own language that was not english to like 
kind of hide or obfuscate the the messages they were sending back and forth like it was some hmm. you know super intelligence that was trying to get around being snooped on yeah and it's like that is nothing of the sort it's like well it's just a bug like it's not yeah. even anything that was say. intelligent like, like you know what um that that next time i write some some buggy software i'm gonna be like hey it's not that it's buggy it's just my software is so intelligent that it you know it's basically inventing new ways to fail. <laughs> yeah, it's it's got a mind of its own. I don't I don't need to debug it. It just needs to adjust. <laughs> yeah, give it time. Give it six months. Oh, just wait. It'll fix itself. Yeah, some of the some of these headlines that it spawned are just great. Yeah, Facebook shuts down AI because it made its own language. So apparently, spamming the word "to me, to me, to me, to me, to me." is a language now <laughs> um so i guess that's one way to spin it <laughs> and uh apparently they didn't even shut the the project down because of this either there was some other reason <laughs> so they, yeah, they really took because it. it wasn't working yeah they really took some um liberties yeah liberties on these these yeah. articles that came out of it that reminds Just me of like so when funny. i was you're probably old enough to remember this. Well, you are old enough to remember this, but um, that back way back when, when they had the, they were sending around this notice of this computer virus that would send out electromagnetic waves and disable anything within like a hundred feet of your computer. And I mean, it did all kinds of things. Um, in fact, it became a bit of a parody where like. Then they sent out a parody one where it would email your grandmother and it would do all that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was. Uh, and I remember somebody at my office posted a, that up on the wall. The one they were the one about the electromagnetic waves and all this stuff like warning. Watch out. EMP virus is yep. coming. Yep. So, you know. People will believe anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely the time for fake news. Yep. You know, alternative facts. They're, <laughs> exactly. they're here. <laughs> Speaking of alternative facts. Uh-oh. Let's talk about into one article. of my articles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Five ways to export from ASP.NET to Word and PDF files. Oh, the excitement. Yeah. So, you know, is is on exciting and non-clickbaity as that sounds. I mean, it, it really pales in comparison to AI making its own language. Mm -hmm. um, but back in the real world, developers in uh, corporate America and in corporate yeah. around the world, um, you know, we have to get stuff done. Yep. And this is and, like a, a very, very common requirement of a business application. Yeah, unfortunately, like every line of business app I've ever worked on, you get, you know, all the requirements up and you publish the app and people use it for a day. And then they're like, yeah, this is great. I have access to everything I could ever imagine on this app. Now, if I could only print it out so it could be locked in time and static and now I can, I don't know, write on it mm -hmm. and then scan it and then. Well, you yeah, know, like... I need to be able to, to print it out, put it in paper, and stuff it in a filing cabinet. That's, yes. that's my business uh, use case. 
I I actually had to do um, an audit one time on something. Um, I'll, I'll try to make it as vague as possible so it never gets back to the person who asked for this. Uh, in some roundabout way, um, we had to review content on a website. And uh, the, the ask was to print the entire website uh, and put it in a binder so it could be reviewed. <laughs> that sounds very productive. Yeah. And I had I had to actually do that. That, that I think I found a feature in Chrome or something. I don't. It didn't even require a plugin, which was sad. But it was like you hit print, and then you say like print. Also print things that are linked to this page. And if you do that at the root page, it eventually prints out everything. Yeah. <laughs> um. So and it, my gripes out of the way. What what I had to write about was the fact that people want some type of export functionality in their apps. Yep. Uh, whether they're sane or ridiculous doesn't always, uh, it's not always the choice of the developer. Uh, yep. So we have to have these tools handy. And um, thankfully, in all of the Telerik UIs, there is uh, what is called the document processing library. And what the document processing library does is lets you uh, write to Word, PDF, uh, spreadsheets. Uh, so you can write Excel files uh, and Word docs and all that good stuff uh, right from your app. Um, now this could be a console application. It could be something that's in the UI. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, we have uh, amazing grids that come with an export button built in because we know this is a common request. So you can just simply flip a switch and, you know, somebody can have that button to press the export button. Uh, the same with our, our editor, which is pretty amazing. So you have a what you see is what you get type HTML editor on your web page. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can click a button and export that directly to Word. So yep. some really handy stuff there. And uh, I chose to write about some of those features. And yeah, and those are just... Go ahead. Those are things that if you don't... You know, I remember when I was doing enterprise development at some companies, those were not necessarily easy things to build. It's nice that they're that nowadays it's just kind of like, okay, you know, if I'm using this, I just flip, you know, turn on a, a flag uh, or, a, you know, property in the thing and says, yep, allow this and done. Yeah, I remember in the early days of PDFs, those things were really locked down tight as to who can create them and, you know, they... I think they wanted to sell copies of Acrobat. So, I mean, it was almost impossible to create a PDF without that. Yeah, uh, I, I, back then I had like some, I had to buy some, some software that like sat on the server that allowed us to do the PDF creation. I'd have to call. And I mean, it was, it was kind of a convoluted process and it never quite came out. Like you really had to fiddle with it to get it to come out the way you wanted it to. Yeah, um, these these APIs are pretty straightforward to use, so they're uh, easy to spin up, um, easy to understand. You can get stuff going very quickly. Uh, there's some really cool features in there to export from, like I said, from the web. Uh, mm -hmm. Even Kendo UI has some built-in features uh, that are excellent for getting stuff off of a web page and printing it out as a PDF or saving it to an image file. And, and that includes like HTML fragments and all sorts of stuff. So if you have like a, 
uh, UI that you create for a dashboard and it has like a very complex report on it. You can just simply capture, it's pretty much like getting a screen capture of that page and uh, putting it in an image or PDF format and it does it all in the client. So there's no like server side stuff that you have to deal with. Uh, so that's one of the, the um, tips in there as well. So if you know, you want to have that export functionality on the web, you know, you don't even have to involve your backend uh, code or your backend engineers and you can just do that right in JavaScript and boom, it's right there on the client for them to click. So it's really cool stuff. If that interests you, check it out. Um, all this stuff is up at developer.telerik.com, including a link on the right-hand side to the Developer Digest newsletter. Uh, of course, all of our podcasts are up there as well. And uh, we also syndicate these on Channel 9, uh, which is Microsoft's uh, awesome platform for uh, video and audio content. Um, uh, one, one of the main reasons we're doing that is uh, we know how firewalls work. And uh, a lot of times you can't get to this type of content uh, like the podcast or whatnot. So uh, you can go to Channel 9. Hopefully they have that whitelisted so you can go up there and listen. Uh, so make sure you subscribe, check us out, uh, leave comments back on the web. We, we get those comments and reply to those on SoundCloud or developer.telerk.com at the bottom of the page. So uh, make sure you stay in touch with us. Yep. And uh, speaking of staying in touch, if you want to run into one of us, we're, we've got some events coming up. Um, that some This is part of what I, I've been working a lot on is... is we talked about this a little bit last time, but NativeScript Developer Day is next month now. So it's about 45 days away in New York. So if you're interested in NativeScript or you are a NativeScript developer, uh, you know, get your tickets. Like it's just a hundred bucks for two days. You get your food, you get, we have a social event with, we're going to have drinks and stuff like that. So, I mean, you'll get your hundred dollars worth, even if you just come for the food and drinks. Um, and, uh, and then in November, if you happen to be in, in Europe, uh, we are bringing back our DevReach conference that was kind of a, a part of, it was kind of the, for a long time, it was kind of part of the Telerik DNA, I think, you know, uh, was definitely was that event uh, ran for, I think this will be the ninth edition. So I guess they ran it for like eight years um, and took a little break, uh, but I'm, I'm bringing it back. Uh, and that is in November in Sofia, Bulgaria. Uh, I got some really, I'm I'm really excited about the speakers because um, I've been able to get some some really well known people. Uh, Christian Heilman is going to be there. I've got PPK is going to be there. Uh, some of you may know Tomomi Amura from she now works at Slack. Um, we've got uh, you know a lot of a lot of some really big name people coming including this Burke Holland guy. I don't know if you remember him. <laughs> I kind of forgotten him. He, you know, I'd forgotten who he was. He was vaguely familiar, but um, we're bringing him back. I think he went to work on UWP. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that's what he does. He works on UWP. Yeah. They have a gigantic... That's going to stick. You don't want to make sure evangelism scheme. <laughs> Yeah, if uh, if you're out out in the Redmond area next week, uh, August 14th through the 17th, I will be at Visual Studio Live in Redmond. 
Um, don't have any sessions, unfortunately, but I will be at the progress booth, so make sure you stop by, say hello, uh, talk about anything .NET related. I'll be happy to chat with you, uh, talk about the show. If you have any questions or feedback about the podcast, make sure you hit me up. Uh, stop by the booth and say hello. Um, also be doing some Channel 9 recordings while I'm out there. So I don't know when those will air yet, so I won't say too much more about it other than uh, the topics are Angular, like I mentioned earlier in the show, and uh, functional programming with C-sharp. So those will be fun. I'll uh, keep everybody updated on when those are going to come out. Cool. Uh, so you can get on Channel 9 and watch those. Um, and then I've got some events coming up uh, shortly after. I'll be at the Heartland Developer Conference in Omaha, Nebraska. That's always a fun one. Uh, always great people out there. Um, and then after that, it's Dev Space in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, and Dev Up in St. Louis. So it's going to be a busy fall. Well, thanks again, Brian, for joining me on the show. Yep, always fun. 